If you have one with you, you could be turning to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, do not be concerned. There will be uh, scriptures that will be coming up on the screen so that we can follow them there uh, together. So just going to read a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, beginning in a moment in verse, verse 3. Here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We'll spend a little bit of time in a moment looking at those verses. I wonder if at the outset of a new year, you're one of those reflective types that likes to to look back on the year that's just concluded, the year that just took place, 2016. What are the highlights for you, the happy, happy moments? What are the things that have changed, improved for the better? Uh, maybe sometimes you might look back and think about things that were less positive, but we made it through. Interestingly, one... Uh, political or social commentator um, wrote that 2016 was the year of anger, that globally, around the world, there's lots of examples of, of anger manifesting on a, on a national scale, with different elections and referendums, points being made that apparently, or perhaps, people are making decisions now, not on the basis of, of reason, but on the basis of sheer frustration and anger. I think, well, that's fascinating, if slightly concerning. Um, so what has a year been for, uh, for you? I quite like to can do, my, do my own little survey uh, of, of what's been involved in the past 12 months in terms of church life. So forgive me for being a little bit in-house for just a few moments before we arrive uh, at the passage. quite like to look at what are the different prophetic words that we've received as a church? Um, prophetic encouragements. What are the uh, the messages that have been brought to us? And what I like to kind of spend some time looking at is guests that we've had amongst us. People who are not part of this local church, but who we receive in from time to time. What was it they brought? What was it they said? What was the scripture that they highlighted? And even the, within those events and from those people, seeing kind of themes emerge. And looking back over the past year, thinking, actually, yeah, there have been some, some themes that have emerged uh, prophetically and some themes that have emerged uh, through preaching as well. In prophecy and in encouragement, I can think, actually right back at the beginning of last year, in January, we had our weekend away. Uh, it is appropriate, at the, at the beginning of the year, you know, we began it by, by enjoying and laughing at a sketch that Rachel and Ali did for us at the talent night. And we concluded the year at the cow service watching a sketch that Rachel and Ali... Anyway, um, it's interesting what gets repeated. Now, is it, it's interesting in God, kind of what gets repeated. Right at the beginning of the year, Jeremy's speaking on encourage one another. And before he started to preach, he actually modeled that and did it himself. I don't know if the fusion guys remember being, being stood up and being encouraged, being said, look, 
the, the leadership gift and the passion for God that is in you is good. Fan it into flame. Don't always wait to be asked to be kind of invited into something. You can, you can branch out. You can make steps of faith. You can initiate what God wants to do in this church as you hear him. And he also encouraged us about the nations. Encouraged us about being a church of the nations, being a genuinely uh, diverse, uh, multi-ethnic church, reflecting the kingdom of God. And being a church as well that's for the nations, speaking about highways that God would open up, um, where we would be involved in, in receiving people from other nations and learning from them, and we'd be sending people to other nations to bless them. And, uh, you know, that's happened to a certain extent. It's great this morning to have Gail uh, with us, who in some respects in recent times got the ball rolling by, by moving to a country in the Middle East. Think, wow, well done. And it's just great to hear of what God has been doing uh, there with her. But yeah, God's been doing something in that. Jeremy encouraged us. Later on in the year, Gary and Barb came from Canada and speaking from this uh, platform, uh, again was encouraging and was also saying, look, I see all the flags. Actually, in the church, I, I don't see all the faces. I don't see all the nations here. I, I think there's more for you, City Church, uh, to grow into and, uh, and to reflect. And so, right, let's be, let's be challenged, let's be encouraged. You know, the, the problem is if we think that we've arrived. No, we can say we've arrived when we get to glory. We say, we've made it, we're here. Look around, every tongue, every tribe, every nation surrounding the throne of God and bowing down and exalting his name. One day we'll be there and we'll say, we've made it. Until then, City Church, can, we can never say, look around. We've made it. No, we haven't made it. We're on a journey. And uh, I take that kind of jeweled encouragement, both Jeremy and Gary, just reminding us, spurring us on, believe for being a church of the nations and a church that impacts nations. Also, we're encouraged prophetically about being a church of breakthrough and new discoveries, even in what Terry just prayed and prophesied just a moment ago. The Lord of breakthrough. We received a prophetic word about God's breakthrough amongst us. Uh, the picture that was brought to us was of somebody um, in, in their house really desperate for more room, more space. And sometimes what that uh, desire brings about is kind of a psyching up, right, we're, we're going to move or... We're gonna, we're gonna extend the house that we have somehow. But we're gonna have to really stretch in order to do it. Financially or, or otherwise. Uh, and the picture that was brought to us was of actually, that's the situation, but rather than buying a new house, moving to a different floor plan, or, or rather than extending the house you've got, actually you're just gonna lean on a wall and as it were, discover that within the house there's already space there. Hidden space being revealed, coming into the light, a room that was that was maybe un, under the floor, or it does sound bizarre even now, but I have come across it myself. Just of there being kind of hidden hidden rooms and discovery, right? Well, we were being encouraged. The Lord of Breakthrough saying, "City Church, there's there's 
there's hidden, there's gifting that's been hidden and been dormant, it's going to come into the light. God is going to bring potential um, into the light. He's going to do a work amongst you that's going to expand your capacity. It's not going to require you to overstretch yourself. And sometimes that's what can happen personally at the beginning of a new year. Like we come up with resolutions. Are you a resolution type person? Right. It's January the 1st. Here is my 12-point plan for making progress this year. I've, I've got it all mapped out, sorted. I've thought it all through. 12 goals, 12 objectives, 12 steps that I am psyched up and ready to take. I'm going to hit 2017 hard. This is going to be the year when I turn over 12 new leaves. <laughs> um, and, and what can happen is in that kind of moment of zeal and enthusiasm and perhaps clarity, yeah, I'm really seeing it all, we overcommit, we overstretch, and then we stumble. We get exhausted, we get disappointed, and we give up. It's interesting, I was having a chat with someone a couple of weeks ago. And they were saying, I just think it wasn't the subject of the conversation, but just as a throwaway comment. Said, in 2016, I had two goals. Oh, that's interesting. It wasn't 12. I had, I had two things I wanted to make progress in. Um, I thought, that's, he, he, he's been deliberate. But he's not gone crazy. He's kind of targeted. He's focused. Um, Sometimes we can be tempted to, to stretch into a thousand new initiatives. That can be true personally. It can be true as a church as well. For a relatively small church, if you don't mind us calling that, there can be a pressure to do a thousand more things than we're doing last year. Right, it's a new year. Charge, everybody. Advance. Do new things. Roll up your sleeves. And, and we kind of think in terms of projects and programs that require huge amounts of time and massive amounts of commitment every week, week in, week out, for a small crack team of soon-to-be burnt-out people. Now, God can call us to a new project or a new initiative. But sometimes we can just experience a kind of drivenness. It's not necessarily kind of God doing it. We're, we're, dry, we're feeling a pressure to make progress or to be seen to be making progress. So we charge full steam ahead into the battle. Advance, everybody. January the 3rd. Jeepers. <laughs> just, um, right, maybe I've uh, had a couple extra mince pies. Uh, feeling the effects. So we want to make new... Discoveries. We're believing for progress, that God is leading us on. But we've also, another theme that emerged in the year, was not just discovering new space. It was actually, that might entail clearing out relics. Finding this hidden room, and then finding really dusty, old relics. Now, sometimes if that happens in the natural, you might... Discover a real gem, a real treasure that needs restoring. But the picture was of finding just old stuff, clutter, junk, that's taking up space 
and is inhibiting what this room could be used for. It needs to be cleared out. And sometimes we're so keen to make progress and charge everyone. We don't, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we don't have time or we don't want to take time to take stock and just clear stuff out. We've moved house quite a number of times, even whilst we've been in Sheffield. And sometimes what that involved is having some boxes. And you know, you, you lack, whack a label on the box, don't you, when you move house and it says kitchen or attic or something. And we've come to move house again. And those labels were still in place. And the boxes were unopened. Lots of stuff. It was useful once. But to be frank, we didn't need it anymore. But into the van it goes. Right. Oh, it says attic. Right. Shove it in the attic. And it just goes in another attic. Ridiculous, isn't it? Um, eventually, we've got to get around to clearing this stuff out. And that's important to do. So you may not feel like the most reflective person. You might be the real activist who just wants to charge into 2017, into loads of new stuff. Hang on a minute. Stop. Take stock. Is there some stuff you need to clear out? Are there some, some issues that you're still carrying around with you? I think the Lord has been nudging us. He's been saying, nations, nations. He's been saying, more room. When Gary came in amongst us, as well as commenting on, on the nations, he's also, he also said, there are, there are too many leaders here for the size of the room. It's like, guys, spread out. <laughs> Find another room. Think, oh, I wonder what God will lead us into then. I mean, let's, let's believe for progress. But there's no point trying to make progress in this way. You get into the car. You do everything you should. I forget. It's a while since I learned. Um, mirror signal maneuver and all that jazz. Do your six-point check. Find the biting point. Release handbrake. You're off. Sometimes when you do that, um, you've not, I've not fully disengaged the handbrake. It's still slightly on. And after a while, you kind of realize, hang on, something's not quite right here. We're not making as much progress as we should do. Now at that point, you can just put, put your foot down. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Helping already, you see. Um, you can just put your foot down, try and make more progress, rev the engine. Actually, if you stop for a minute and look around, you realize, oh, whoopsie, silly, I've not taken the handbrake fully off. There we go. Right, now we can make proper progress. And sometimes in the things of God, we can do that Forget not fully disengage the handbrake. Something is impeding the progress that God wants to do in our hearts. And we can just think, right, no, just, just rev the engine more. Come on, everybody! Let's pray again! Well, that's great. But there might be something we need to let go of. There might be a handbrake to disengage, a relic that needs chucking out. Or, to come eventually to the passage, a stronghold to demolish. And perhaps our best way of making progress is in that sense of take a step, one step back, and then two steps forward. Sometimes we can be in such a hurry, we don't want to take that step back, take stock. What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my, in my head? What, what are my priorities? What am I living with? So as we look at this passage, 
Uh, we're going to just, I'll try and be brief, answer a couple of questions. Firstly, what is a stronghold? Or if you like, what is a relic? But we're now looking at the passage rather than considering those prophecies. What is a stronghold? How does a stronghold develop? And then thirdly, how do we demolish them? How do we take them down? How do we clear it out of the way? How do we fully disengage the handbrake? So that when we're revving the engine, when we're putting our foot down, actually we, we make the progress God intends us to make. So firstly, what is a stronghold? Literally, a stronghold is a well-protected fortress, if you like, a castle, which is easy to defend and therefore difficult to invade. So in the ancient world, having a stronghold within a city was very important. Whenever a neighboring tribe or nation took a shine to your land and your resources and launched an attack, When that people then were threatened, invaded or under attack, they had this safe place, this stronghold, which they could retreat to, regroup if you like. That might then provide us with an opportunity to to then launch a counter-attack and all the rest of it. If you're a fan, by the way, of Lord of the Rings, show of hands please. Um, (laughs) That was very quick, Liam. (laughs) if you find, think of Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep, a very strong hold. This fortress, this castle that was kind of built into the side of a mountain. The good guys could retreat there. Eventually, at the right time, they can kind of uh, launch an attack and come out and they manage to win the day with a little bit of extra help. Or if you want to think of a biblical example, think of Jerusalem itself, which was on top of Mount Zion, surrounded by steep valleys on most of its sides um, and mountains too. Hence, the Jebusites' confidence when David and his men attacked. So David has recently become king over Israel. And if you were to look in 2 Samuel chapter 5, you'd you'd see this um, episode just here. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6 says, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem, this wasn't the city of God yet, to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you'll not get in here, even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. That's the confidence you can have when you've got a really strong stronghold. Um, They thought, there's no way David can get into this place. The, the, The approach is too narrow and it's too steep. So it would be easy just to fight them off. And so in 2 Corinthians we see that a stronghold, as uh, Paul refers to it, is a house or like a a fortress made of thoughts, or as the passage describes them, arguments, into which we retreat when we feel threatened or under some kind of attack. Such a stronghold offers apparent security, but in fact, it's thoughts and arguments that are set up, as the passage says, against the knowledge of God. The security and safety it offers is away from God. So it doesn't lead us into great 
greater relationship or communion with him in a time of stress. Otherwise, in a time of stress or attack, we retreat. We're retreating from the Lord. We might be retreating from other people as well. And we're finding a kind of pseudo-alternative security in a way of thinking which is not obedient to Christ and is not in step with the knowledge of God. These uh, thought patterns or arguments actually hold us captive by persuading, to, persuading us to believe things that are not true, that do not line up with Scripture. What might be some examples of that? This is why I think the Lord has been nudging us about relics. Do you remember, uh, if you were uh, with us then, uh, on the 29th of May, uh, Andy uh, Davis was with us from Pontypridd, Actually, we'd invited him and Liz to come and be with uh, core group leaders for a day. And we invite them back in May. So actually share what you shared with the whole church. What did he speak on? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 onwards. Do not be anxious. What does that passage say three times? Do not be anxious. Just worry and specific fears. That can be a stronghold that we withdraw into. Just anxious. Maybe it's got a very specific focus, but it keeps popping up. Now, if the Bible tells us don't be anxious, then we can know for sure there'll be different circumstances for all of us that will try and prod and stimulate us to be anxious. But if Jesus says three times, do not be anxious, then when for those who are in Christ and empowered by the Spirit and receiving from the Word, it is possible in any given scenario that might make us worry to not worry. To take that captive. Do we believe it? Do we receive it? Do we remember what was brought to us early in, in the year? Do we remember what Toppy Collioso brought uh, when we went to uh, Devoted in August? About advancing by faith. About looking at Joshua chapter 5. Do we advance by faith or do we learn to just as it were camp by the walls of Jericho? Uh, God's given us a plan to see them come down. It might have seemed like a slightly bizarre plan, but the commander of the armies of the Lord showed up and said, this is what you're to do. But sometimes we can just, as it were, hit up against the wall or retreat into the stronghold, just live with something and a way of thinking that hasn't shifted for years. So do you know what? I, I'm just going to dial back my expectations now. Bless Anne, in uh, October, brought a message to us from uh, Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. What's that about? It's about, about forgiveness, about learning to walk in forgiveness. One of Jesus' disciples comes to him and says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Like, is there a limit? Is there a point at which I can just stop and genuinely, legitimately hold a grudge. Seven times? Once I get to seven, Jesus obviously blows out of the water with this powerful parable. I won't go into details now because I'm sure most of you remember. If not, you can just look at Matthew chapter 18 later on. But that can become something that we don't get over. I can't forgive. I was hurt so badly, I'm not going to let that happen again. 
So we learn to protect ourselves. So we think. But what that unforgiveness leads to is bitterness. Bitterness goes deep. Some weeds can just be easily plucked up. Some you really need to get a spade. Some you need to get some machine. But you can dig them up, just a little bit more work. And if, if forgiveness goes un, unresolved, un, uh, undealt with, what grows up? A bitter root. Almost everything is getting coloured with this negative outlook. And cynicism can grow up with it. Lots of other things start to grow around this ugly, knotted root. We had Jeremy come to us at the end of November. And uh, one of the passages he referred to is in Genesis 26 about wells that were being dug up. Wells that were being opened up. But he spoke about the, the well of disputing and the well of opposition. And in kind of like a, a prophetic moment, just lobbed it out to us as a church. Are you in some disputes that just need to get resolved? Some, some opposition, some relational friction within the family, within the church? And just let it lie? Maybe now's the time to dig it out. You know, we can be thinking, charge, full steam ahead into all the plans and purposes of God. Stop, wait, is there anything here? Because look, the Lord's been nudging us all the way through. There can be other strongholds. There can be uh, fear of rejection, fear of failure that can either lead to a kind of passivity. Well, I can't do that. I can't do anything. Or, therefore, I won't do anything. Or super-drivenness. I've got to achieve. I've got to succeed. Go, 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 go. What is a stronghold? Something that offers an apparent sense of security, a way of thinking, an argument that we quickly revert to in our mind. Well, he should never have said that to me. So, reflexes that we can have and that color and affect how we see life. How does a stronghold develop? A stronghold may develop first from giving Satan a foothold. doesn't begin as a stronghold. doesn't begin as a mighty fortress. It actually just began as just a small opportunity. Maybe a, a, a painful moment. A foothold can be given just by unresolved anger. Ephesians 4 talks about Not letting the sun go down on your anger. In your anger, do not sin. So, we can see then, anger is not necessarily sinful. However, it can be a bit of a landing platform for the enemy just to come and zoom in and 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 target us. He can use anger, even if it was initially uh, in response to like a genuine injustice. So it shouldn't have happened. But if that anger stayed there, and then the sun went down once, and then the sun came up and the sun went down again, the sun came up and the sun went down again, and we never brought it to God, then it can almost be cultivated into something bigger. Anger can become rage, malice, 
slander. It can be a habit. Maybe it was just focused on this particular injustice. Now it's just the way that we see everything. Or we see lots of things. Um, Losing our temper uh, can become a behavior pattern that then is built into our lives because we believe the slippery half-truth. It's okay to be angry if the other person was wrong. It can just be the way in. Unforgiveness already referred to, really. It can become a bitter root that defiles others. That's what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, around verse 14 or 15. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us when we don't forgive our brother from the heart. We learn from Matthew chapter 18 verse 35. The unmerciful servant was turned over to the jailers uh, until he should pay back all that he owned. Unforgiveness actually imprisons us. That's what happens with a stronghold when we're not retreating to the Lord. The, the, uh, this grudge or this way of thinking, this unforgiveness actually hems us in. As long as we miss the grace of God. A traumatic experience can be the means by which a stronghold in our thinking develops. The young person shocked by a dog grows into an adult with an unrelenting fear of dogs. Whatever the situation, whatever the breed of dog, whatever the size, whatever the dog's behavior, others might then observe what seems like a really disproportionate response. It's fine. It's wagging its tail. It's kind of happy to see you. It's quite small. So it can seem irrational to somebody else, but actually once bitten, no, I'm, I'm always wary now. I'm always on my guard. I can't let my guard down because then they might bite, it might bite me. So I always need to protect myself. There's a logic, a strange logic to these ways of thinking, but actually they hold us captive. So we need to take them captive. If we don't take thoughts captive for Christ, those thoughts can take us captive into worry, into fear, into unforgiveness, into opposition and anger, into fears of rejection and, uh, and so on, uh, uh, that it needs uh, taking down. Perhaps fearful or negative thought patterns may not be the result of one clearly defined experience or episode in a person's life. It may be more to do with the climate or atmosphere in general, that a person grew up in. And even now, years later, responses to pressure or stress are being shaped not by our new identity in Christ and the culture of his kingdom, but by our old identity and the culture of the family that we grew up in. And I'm sure, of course, many of us, all of us maybe, can give thanks for some elements of uh, some benefits that we had, the, the culture that we grew up in has helped in so many regards. But there can be these little areas, little pockets, where it's given us a problem. It's given us an an issue. It's given us a way of thinking that we default back into. Well, I was always told I was no good. I was always told I wasn't wanted. You'll you'll always be like that. That's what they said. You're just like your mum. Really? Oh, great. And these things can have a, 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 an apparent strength to them. You might even be aware as I'm talking. Yeah, I know there's that issue. <laughs> He's already mentioned it or he hasn't mentioned it. But I know it's right there. I can identify it. I can give it a name. But that in itself, that kind of awareness, doesn't actually help deal with it. I've, I'm just familiar with it. It's like a pet. Um, that's got a bit too big. Uh, 
it has an apparent power or it has an apparent strength. And so we feel it just takes us captive. What can I do? It's inevitable. I'm bound to respond in this way. No. How do we demolish strongholds? It's not enough to merely identify it and be self-aware. But look, God does not intend that we live contained and restrained by thoughts and arguments that oppose the knowledge of God. He knows that life on this earth is not always pretty or easy, that there are times when we are pressured, threatened, and feel vulnerable. That's true personally. It's true then uh, a national scale as well. It's been described as a the year of anger. I'm not so sure, because anger is always a response to some other thought or emotion. I think it'd be better to say it's the year of fear. People are scared. And that's what's reflected in certain voting patterns and uh, and, and wars and rumors and wars and conflict and people kind of withdrawing into a closed little identity. I feel safe here and I'm against these people. I'm against these other people. That's what's happening in the world. It's a year, it's been a year of, uh, been a year of fear, but it doesn't need to be that for the people of God. It's not inevitable that we get just taken captive. We do actually need a stronghold or a fortress to run to. And the Bible reveals that, obviously, as God Himself, He is our refuge. Uh, One Psalm, Psalm 18, Verses 1 to 3, for example, David writes there, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. See, David was this mighty man of valor, but he knew where his security lay. He knew God as his stronghold. And in fact, for anyone who's been saved for any length of time, there'll be many areas of life where, with God's help, we've already been transformed by the renewing of our minds. And vast areas of the landscape of our lives have been turned over to the Lord and submitted to the truth. It's just a few stubborn areas. Well, don't settle for stubborn areas. Don't believe the lie. It's just impregnable. There's, there's no way to tackle this worry that keeps coming back at me. There's, there's no way of demolishing that, that fear. Look at this passage again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The world has lots of weapons that, that are used to try and deal with stuff. Addictions. It might not be a very bad addiction. It could just be like an app on your phone, but it's like the go-to place in any crisis. That's what I do. It might not be intrinsically wrong, or it could be really obviously intrinsically wrong, uh, uh, to do with like loss of temper, or, or lust, or other kind of knee-jerk temptations that we just fall into. Um, it could be distraction, another weapon that the world might use. Just keep yourself super, super busy. Don't think about it. Block it out. Don't give it your attention at all. Just fingers in the ears and charge on. 
Um, sometimes that's what people do, just try and keep themselves incredibly busy. I'd, I'd much rather risk burnout than have to actually stop for a moment and look at what might be in my heart and might be going on. Um, other things as well, but I can't find them in the notes right now, so we'll move on. Um, those are the weapons of the world. They don't have divine power, so they don't actually work in demolishing a stronghold. They don't actually help clear out the clutter from the attic. They don't get rid of the relic. It's just being ignored. It's just being papered over. Paul says, on the contrary, well, the weapons that we have um, have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. They can be demolished. They can be taken down. I love just the uh, the moment back in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read earlier what the Jebusites said. There's no way you can get in here, they said to David. The, the, the lame and the blind could ward you off. Because they were so confident in their, in their fortress, in their position. Nevertheless, in verse 7, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. Ta-da! It's not like mini-adventure. Easy. Well, maybe not, but <laughs> it was done. You'll, you'll never get in here. You can't take this down. You won't change. It's not going to happen. You've just got to learn to live with it. Camp by the wall if you want to. But you're not coming through. These are the thoughts. These are the persuasions that can be whispered into our minds whenever we come up with a worrying situation or a situation that could be worrying but doesn't have to be. No, it's inevitable. Just got to camp here. Just got to live here. No, we demolish strongholds with God's help. So how do we do it? Well, the standards of this world, the approaches or the strategies of the flesh aren't going to help us. Coping strategies we might be tempted to rely upon don't actually damage the structure itself. Our weapons with divine power, I'm going to suggest three. But notice weapons, the weapons we fight with, notice it's plural. You might notice the same thing uh, back in in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I'll read a few verses there from verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path. So that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Doesn't sound easy, does it? In purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. That's interesting. Multiple weapons for both hands. 
In the ancient world, they all had, you know, I guess they had these strongholds they could retreat to. In the ancient world, there wasn't always It wasn't a ministry of defense, necessarily, with barracks and an army. Often, just everyone's a warrior. So when it's time for battle, quick, come on guys, we need to go to battle, we need to go to war. So if people are doing agriculture, and maybe in their breaks, are learning archery, or how to wield a sword. In other words, everyone was involved in warfare. They had to be familiar with tools, with these weapons in the right hand, in the right hand, and in the left hand. And learn to exercise them, learn to wield them. And that's what we need to do, all of us. We are all warriors, fighters. Fight the good fight. And the weapons of our warfare, I will suggest the obvious, really, the word of God, scripture, Bible, and having a big uh, biblical worldview, a good, solid overview of the whole of Scripture and salvation history, yeah, that is so vital. And sometimes also what we do is we, we take individual verses and we need to become adept at knowing them and believing them and putting them to work, to memorize, to pray through, specific truth that targets the right spot. In other words, we're being deliberate. What might that look like? Well, if the specific issue were unforgiveness that might lead to bitterness, you might turn to Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, verse 14-ish, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up that defiles many. How do bitter roots get established? People miss the grace of God. What is the grace of God? Well, do you remember what Blessan said on chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 18? Do you remember the parable of the, the unforgiving servant? God's power, divine power, is in his, his word. So we put it to work. We take hold of it. We, we believe it. We think, actually, you know, let's say, over the course of this year, I guess you'll hear about 52 sermons if you're regularly, uh, regularly here, and others, I suppose, if you do podcasts, or maybe slightly fewer if you when you go on holiday. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what would it be just every now and again, as we're, as, we're, as we're hearing the preaching of the word, don't just be a hearer of it, but when you hear it, grab something from the word. If you don't think the preacher has done a very good job, if he's not been as funny as usual, um, if maybe there's an, a way in which application could have just been a little bit more honed and refined. We were up for feedback. That's all good. We want to learn. But still take from that message the word of God, which has divine power to demolish a stronghold. Grab it. Use it. Pray it. When you pray, now this is moving on to another weapon of our warfare. When we pray, give thanks. Thank God for the truth in the scripture that you just read. 
Don't wait to feel that it's true. Don't wait for the circumstances straight away to align themselves to the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I've had a good night's sleep, a lovely cup of coffee. I feel amazing. Thank you, Lord, for the peace of God. I want to thank the Lord for a good night's sleep and a cup of coffee. But thank the Lord for what is true when you don't feel it. What are you doing? You're learning to use the weapon. Don't wait for that moment when you feel threatened and you feel under attack to then start scraping around trying to... Well, do go to the Word of God. But don't just, under those in those moments of pressure, think, oh, what's, what's true? Who's God? What, what does grace even mean? Well, yeah, of course, turn to the Word of God. But don't wait for that moment to find a weapon. You should already know where it is. Then get it out, because you've already got familiar with it. In a time of peace, you've just been tooling yourself up, kitting yourself out. I'm going to need this, so I'm going to read, and I'm going to draw from the Word of God, truth about the grace of God, about the knowledge of God, of, of who He is. What do what the stars say? Consider the flowers of the field. Look at the birds. Get hold of the Word when you don't think you need it. I can sound a bit daft. So that you're ready to use it when the moment strikes. Give thanks for it. Give thanks for what is true. And repent. In that area of unforgiveness. I think, well, actually it was me who was wronged. Okay. But repent of the wrong attitude or way of thinking that you've allowed to develop. If that's become a bitterness, or you've kind of withdrawn, repent of not believing the truth. That's a fruitful path. Request, ask for God's help in the specific areas that you need it. Lord, thank you that this is true. I'm sorry for those times when my actions and when my thoughts don't line up with what is true. I turn away from that. I'm, I'm submitting my mind and my life to your word. Now, by the power of your spirit and the divine power that's in your, in your scripture, help me to walk free of that fear of rejection. Help me to walk free when I next feel threatened and under attack uh, from anxiety. Help me to trust you, O oh God, in those moments. Might be tomorrow, might not be for ages, but you are kitting yourself out using the weapons of your warfare, and, and by faith, because we've looked at what's true, because we've given thanks for what is true, we're building our faith in the power of God. Our expectation is, I'm going to receive help. When that temptation comes, I don't have to follow it. The Lord will show me another way. I'm not giving in with his help. I think another weapon of our warfare is, is confession. Now let me just say, actually, before I get to that, Look, I, I should come into a land. I grew up in a great church that used uh, a liturgy, which means every week we would um, state together from the same booklet or PowerPoint slide. It wasn't PowerPoint back then. Um, a, a, a declaration, a statement of faith. And I could recite it very easily. Um, uh, and but quite glibly, if I'm honest. And so later on in life, I, I kind of reacted against it. 
And now anything that feels liturgical, I think, oh, oh, religion. But actually, at times, I give thanks for that now. I give thanks for the heritage. I give thanks for those statements of faith that I grew up knowing. But also, there have been times when I've written my own personal liturgy. thought, here's a verse, here's a verse, here's a verse. I'm going to write that into something I'm going to pray every day for a month. And I'm going to read those scriptures. Any time I pray, five verses, doesn't take long. And I'm going to write down, Father God, thank you for what you're like. Thank you for this. To get a hold of the truth. To pray it out. Don't desp- I don't, so I don't despise prepared prayers. Let's process the truth. Let's get it in here. And let's wield it in our hands. Um, for that reason, I think let's get hold of the Lord's Prayer. Again, it was just, for me, I, I used to approach it as just a religious thing. That got recited once in a while. Then I felt pressured that you know, rather than just recite it, I had to go crazy on it and pray an epic prayer. Whenever I pray, I have to cover all this like to the nth degree. And I just thought, no, just let these things, let those, the things that are flagged up in the Lord's Prayer flavor what you pray during a day. Therefore, what will you be doing? Every day you will be saying, Father, give us today our daily bread. And then we will be saying, forgive me, forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Every day, forgiving other people before God in prayer, as well as receiving it himself. Sometimes we can just soak up unforgiveness. We don't even realize it's happening because it seems so subtle. It shouldn't, have bothered, it, shouldn't have, it shouldn't really have bothered me anyway. Are you deliberate in forgiving? Do you verbalize it? It's just personally between you and God. It's like, Father, I forgive them. It really wasn't actually that big a deal. But I don't want anything to grow up to be a bit of root in me. So I'm just going to pull out that weed of unforgiveness before it comes a bit of root. Do it. And confession as well. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to one another. I don't think necessarily means to everybody from the microphone at the front on a Sunday. But actually, with somebody you feel you can trust and confide in, or depending on the issue, uh, the small group that you're a part of, your spouse if you're married, it, it can be different. Confess your sin and have the humility to be prayed for. Someone else now knows what stronghold I need to demolish in my life. And they can ask me about it. I think that don't be scared to be biblical. Are you frightened by that verse? Confess your sins to each other. Not a chance. No way. No. I think... Because the word of God has divine power, I think that particular verse obviously has divine power. Therefore, I think actually doing it has divine 
power to demolish strongholds. So let's not go into 2017 wanting to make loads of progress, but actually driving with the handbrake on. Or wanting to kind of make use of hidden potential and hidden room and, and so on, but we haven't cleared out the clutter. Let's, let, this, is, this passage is about spiritual warfare that we are all involved in all of the time. It's not unusual. Let's take the encouragement from God's word. He's given us divine power in the word to demolish strongholds. Let's take a step back if we need to, trusting then that God will enable us to take two steps forward into his purposes, into his future, into the plans and the purposes that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, let's respond. The band might play in a minute, but um, actually stay seated just for a moment. The band can come up. Evidently, this, like in every, any message, application is what happens next. Application is what happens once we've had a cup of coffee, we've gone home, we're living the rest of our lives and the rest of the week. We make a decision. I'm going to get hold of the Word of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to involve a close friend. I'm going to confess something. I'm going to start demolishing this stronghold with the Lord's help. It might be anxiety and fears and worries. It might be to do with rejection. It might be to do with traumatic experience that has almost like echoes through life. Uh, a temptation or behavior that's built on a thought pattern somewhere that I feel holds me captive rather than me taking it captive. We're going to pray right now. I'm just going to invite you to stand before we sing if that is a commitment that you want to make in 2017. I want to stop believing the lie that it's inevitable that I keep bumping into this issue and it doesn't go away. So if you'd like to stand, I'm then going to pray. We're then all going to stand and we'll all sing. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word. Our oh God, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for Anne's prophecy earlier on. Thank you for Ginny praying. Thank you for Terry. Thank you for everything that just came through our time of worship where our eyes really were taken heavenward to a God of awesome power and majesty and love. He holds the whole universe in his hands. Yeah, he knows us and he loves us and he cares about us. And he's at work and he's doing a new thing. Lord, I thank you, God, for this year gone by. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done amongst us in the church. I thank you for strengthening stakes. I thank you for uh, encouraging us, spurring us on. I want to thank you for the Alpha Course. I want to thank you for the Conversation Club. I want to thank you for Kids Call. I want to, I want to thank you for our weekend away. Lord, I want to thank you for what you're doing amongst us. And Lord, by, by being together today and by, by responding right now, we're saying, Lord God, we believe you're 
the king eternal, immortal, wise, powerful ruler, the king of kings and the lord of lords, as Richard encouraged us right at the outset, you are the first and you're the last. You are the alpha and you are the omega. You are the one who's riding on a white horse. You are the one who's enthroned uh, above all things. You're a God, the God who created all things. And we say, God, we, we believe and we trust in you. Now, these relics, Lord, we bring them before you and say, God, we thank you that strongholds can be demolished. We thank you that in the word, the word itself, there's divine power. Lord, we thank you. You've given us many good weapons of our warfare, not to fight against flesh and blood, but to fight against any thought that tries to persuade us of something that isn't true. And so, Father, I pray, Lord God, would you grant us and help us grow in the faith and the exercise of that faith to demolish the fear of rejection, to demolish the worries of life, to demolish the fear of death, to demolish bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and that sense of having been overlooked or forgotten. Father, I pray, Lord, there'd be a a healing quality amongst us. Stuff being brought into the light leads to this God-empowered momentum, not just us trying to put our foot down to go faster, but being aware of God coming through and drawing us and encouraging us and us encouraging one another because you are the Lord of breakthrough. You're the Lord for whom nothing is impossible. You laugh at impossibilities. Lord, we trust in you, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray we would be a community encouraging one another. Encouraging one another when, when a brother or a sister says, I just want to confess, this is what I'm dealing with. This is the scripture I'm looking at. I'm praying. Now, would you just stand with me for a moment and can we pray together in this? Would you mind asking me about this in the future? Lord, I pray when those conversations happen, Lord, a power of your spirit would get released. That we wouldn't recoil from one another, but we would draw closer with one another and say, yeah, we're going to fight the fights together on this. I'll stand with you as you fight your fight. You stand with me as I fight mine. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.